Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 12 from the New King James Version. And here's what it says. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him? but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and we've seen that before in an earlier chapter, you would not have condemned the guiltless, talking about his disciples. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Boy, so I wanted to read that whole part here because we have a lot to cover today. But notice this, uh, Jesus is walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath day and his disciples are plucking heads of grain. Now, if you remember the Old Testament law, you'll remember that this was allowed in the law of God. And he said that if you're walking through somebody's vineyard, you can pick grapes and eat them, but you can't get a bucket or a bag and pick grapes from somebody else's vineyard. But he said, but it is acceptable if you're just walking through and, you know, if you're walking through somebody's orange grove and you pick an orange and eat it, he said, that's okay, but you can't bring a bag and get a bag of oranges from your neighbor's uh, grove. Okay, so Jesus, uh, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, God was giving the laws of, hey, what's acceptable and what's too picky and what's not too picky, what's being generous and what's taking advantage. And so God was clarifying that. Well, in the same way, they're walking through a grain field and they're plucking heads of grain and such in the grain field, which was perfectly acceptable in the law. But the the Pharisees here, the religious rulers are saying, hey, that's against the law. That's against the law for them to do it on the Sabbath because they're working. Well, wait a minute. They're not, they're not doing harvesting. They're not working a field to harvest a field. No, they're just walking through and they're taking and eating and munching. But it's not violating the Sabbath. But Jesus goes beyond just the ticky-tackiness of what their tradition is saying. And Jesus addresses a larger issue. And he's saying, really, he said, don't you realize that all those laws were given not so that you human beings could actually measure up and keep every little detail of every law? No, he, he's saying, don't, in fact, don't you remember when David was hungry? And we do remember the story in the Samuels when David was running from Saul. And he came and he came to the house of God. And there was nothing else to eat there except the showbread. They had switched out the, the showbread, the, the new for the old. And they had the old showbread that was in the tabernacle of God. And so David took it and ate it. And here, it wasn't, that was not the law That was not acceptable in the Old Testament law for anybody but the priest to eat that. And yet David ate it, and God didn't hold it against him whatsoever. And Jesus points that out and ends up saying, don't you know I desire mercy and not sacrifice? And of course, Paul brings out in Galatians, 
that all those 623, if I remember correctly, all those commandments in the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament, that God didn't really give those so that people could measure up to every single law and keep it. Of course, he did want them to be obedient. But he didn't give all that. He gave the commandment to the Jewish people so that they would realize there was no way that they could meet the standard of God. And so when David knew he was walking with God, fellowshipping with God and such, and he was in a situation where that was all that was available to eat, he was so hungry, he and his men, all that was available was the showbread, that he by faith ate, and listen to this, and uh, Jesus said, and it was not lawful for him to eat, and yet he was not condemned for that. God did not hold it against him. Why? Because what the way that David served God, the way that David loved God, worshipped him, he was a man after God's own heart, that's really what God was looking for. Not keeping every letter of the law, but God was looking for that heart after God, to be obedient to God, and David was like that. And so Jesus goes on and says, see, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he had mercy on David. And he, and he goes on to mention that there were priests that were in the temple, that they didn't do it quite right either, but their hearts were right. Their hearts were right. And they were trying to do things that pleased God. So it wasn't that people had a heart to break the commandment of God or disregard the commandment of God, but Jesus is just pointing out that God's looking not just for... Uh, you to do a bunch of religious things, but he's looking for your heart to serve God, to love God, and he wants to have mercy on us when we live that way. And then Jesus said, you also need to know the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he's saying, the one who you're talking to right now, the Messiah, he said, you need to know I'm the one that created the universe. I'm the one that created the Sabbath. I'm the one that came up with this whole idea. So you don't come and tell me that the Sabbath rules over me. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, here we go. Verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And so apparently the hand was like all shriveled up. doesn't say whether he was born like that or something happened to him, but he said he had a withered hand. And it goes on to say, And they asked him, Jesus, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So see, this is one of those things, this is one of those Sabbath things. And they would always try to catch Jesus uh, in violating the Sabbath. And so they said to Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Verse 11, then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Here again, we see Jesus uh, helping us to understand human, being, human beings are not in the animal kingdom. God does not see the value of human being the same as an animal. And so again, we see it here several times in Matthew. Uh, Jesus has pointed this out. But notice this. Here Jesus is pointing out a hypocrisy and people trying to uh, treat animals better than human beings. And he's saying, now wait a minute here. He said, if any of you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you'll go pull that out and not think a thing about it. But here's a man who's in a pit in his life. He's got this withered hand. He can't work. So he's no doubt impoverished and, uh, and has uh, other uh, ripple effect uh, uh, consequences of this. 
And you'll, you'll say, no, not on the Sabbath. No, you can't help that guy. I'll help the sheep on the Sabbath, but not him. And let me tell you, there are people in our world today who will really go after saving the trees or saving the, the owls or the eagles or the, the whales or whatever. And I mean, make a big deal about pets and such. And yet those same people often are the ones who are pro-abortion and to be able to kill babies and such. Oh, let me tell you, Jesus is confronting that. And this is the twistedness of the kingdom of darkness, that we begin to value animals and such and other things more than what God values, more than what God values. It's a big thing. And so Jesus is confronting this. You'll help your sheep, but you won't help a man on the Sabbath. See how twisted religion gets and even the logic of human beings, the worldly, the carnal mind, very twisted. Uh, priorities all off, out of whack. So uh, Jesus goes on to say, of how much more then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus said it is lawful. That Sabbath law was never intended to say, so you can't help any human being that's in a bad situation. (laughs) Jesus said it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he also called healing good. He also called healing good. Now, why is that important? Because in Acts 10.38, you remember Peter, uh, when he went to the house of Cornelius, uh, the Bible says, uh, Peter was preaching to them, and Peter said, now Jesus went all through Galilee and all out through Judea, preaching a certain message, and he said, you know what message that is. And then verse 38 says, the message was how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And so you can see there that doing good was all of the ministry of Jesus, teaching, preaching, healing. He was doing good works. And Jesus said, yeah, it is It is okay to do good on the Sabbath. That would include teaching, preaching, and healing. Then he said to the man, the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. That must have been amazing to watch. Then the Pharisees went out, and they said, wow, wasn't that awesome? He must be the Son of God. No, that's not what it says. It says, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Isn't that interesting? Somebody demonstrates that kind of power, that kind of love, that kind of compassion for a man that was hurting, a man that had a disability, And the religious people went to figure out how to destroy him. Why? They were jealous that he was getting more notoriety than they were. He was a threat to them. He was a threat. And they didn't want that. They wanted their religious system to stay in play. Verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, when he knew that they were plotting to destroy him, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Let's not skip over that. Great multitudes, plural, followed him, and he healed them all. What does that say about the will of God? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's the will of the Father? To heal them all. What's the will of Jesus? To heal them all. And so we should just understand there are reasons why people are not healed. But what we can't see in the Bible is they're not healed because it's not God's will to heal everybody. You may come up with that with your own logic and reason and tradition and what you've been taught, but you can't show in the Bible that it's not God's will to heal everybody. 
What you can show in the Bible is many reasons why the will of God to save people and the will of God to heal people precludes it from happening. But what you can't find is that God just decides he doesn't want to heal everybody. Nope. Not except for when people are under judgment. But if people are not under judgment, it is the will of God, uh, overarchingly, uh, generally speaking, to, to heal, to save everybody and for everybody to be healed. It's undeniable in the Word. I've read this Bible over and over and over, and I'm telling you, that's what it says. And uh, nobody can find something that doesn't say that, even in the book of Job. So we can get to that another time. All right, here we go. So, uh, verse 14 uh, they plotted that they might destroy him. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed him. He healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. This is 700 years before Jesus was born. Behold my servant uh, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice, justice to victory and in his name Gentiles will trust. And so you'll notice there that some of this is going to continue to be filled in the ministry of Jesus through the apostles and, through, and to the Gentile world, of which most of us are. Verse 22, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute. Now we saw earlier in an earlier chapter of Matthew, one who was demon-possessed and mute. Now we have a demon-possessed, blind, and mute. And watch this. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Now, in the earlier passage, you'll remember, the man was uh, mute and demon-possessed. And when the spirit was cast out, his mouth was open. And we, and we cited there that uh, sometimes, not all, always, but often, when somebody has an ailment, a disability, a sickness or something, that it's not just physiological and it's not just something that medication can address because there's actually an evil spirit behind it. And the Bible said in that passage, when the spirit was cast out, the man's mouth was open. Well, it doesn't specifically spell it out here, but from the other passage, you would gather that because he was demon-possessed, when that demon was cast out, his eyes were now able to be opened and so he could see, and his mouth was able to speak. And it says in verse 23, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? A reference to the Messiah. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So really what they're saying is, he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. Verse 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Listen closely. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself, how then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? 
He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So Jesus is talking here, really responding to the Pharisees, saying that Jesus' ability to cast out demons is really by the power of Beelzebub or uh, Satan himself. Okay, And so Jesus is saying, wait a minute now, if I'm from the kingdom of God, but I'm using the power of Satan to cast these demons out, then, then my kingdom is divided against itself. It won't, won't stand because the king of, the, you know, God is the Lord of the kingdom of God. See? And he's saying, so if I'm using the power of the arch enemy, Satan, and his kingdom, then we're divided against ourselves. It won't stand. And he goes on to say, and if Satan cast out Satan, if that's Beelzebub casting out his own demons, he's saying then his kingdom's not going to stand. See, so Jesus is saying, look, you have to understand any kingdom, any city, any house, when it gets divided against itself, will not stand. And by the way, let me just apply this to what we're seeing in our nation here in America. We're seeing a great divide. And it's not just politics. I'm not saying that it's not centered often around politics. I'm just saying that these things are spiritual. We're seeing a huge divide. And according to what Jesus said, we cannot continue to be a divided nation and be against one another and expect to be a flourishing, fruitful, strong, uh, impenetrable nation like we've been. And so Jesus is saying every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. So we need to pray that the Lord would... Uh, would heal our nation and bring unity to our nation. Okay, so he goes on to say, or else how can I enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? So Jesus is saying, before I can, before I can get this man healed and take back the goods, the healing, the health, I first have to bind the strong man. So Jesus is uh, identifying that this man who uh, lost his sight, he lost his ability to speak, that Jesus said, I first have to bind the strong man, the one who is holding those goods. I got to take authority over him, get rid of him, and then we can get back the sight, then we can get back the speech. Isn't that powerful? See, so this is what Jesus is bringing out. Often we try to treat something medically or with medication or with some kind of natural remedy and such, and it's not working. Well, why don't we take authority in the spirit over that? And whatever uh, thief, whatever demonic thief is taking advantage, and I'm not saying it's always that, but, but often it is. And Jesus is modeling that for us. And of course, these religious people, they weren't used to handling it that way. But Jesus was right. Okay, come down now to, uh, by the way, he said, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Let me just tell you the way that I hear that. Uh, like in a ministry in a church. If there are people that are part of the ministry, but they won't do anything to gather, they're not inviting people, they're not looking to be a part of the ministry in some way, then Jesus, Jesus said, then they're scattering. No, they're not neutral. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. You're modeling something that's not right. You're not with Jesus. You're not with the ministry. And so we can't be neutral. There is no neutral. You're either gathering or you're scattering. And uh, Jesus knows what he's talking about. All right, verse 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy uh, will be 
forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, neither in this age nor in the age to come. This is heavy, and there, there are a number of people who get fearful that maybe they've committed the unpardonable sin by blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and such. Well, let me tell you this. Um, I know people, and by the way, this is a big deal, so don't take this as not being a big deal. It's a big deal. And But the Spirit of God was sent here to the earth, and we're baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible teaches us. By one Spirit, you're baptized into Christ. So if you reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you can't even get saved, okay? Because it requires the ministry of the Holy Spirit to get saved, and so you will be judged and uh, condemned for that. However, I also know people who in their ignorance, in their pain, in their hurt or whatever, uh, said things even against the Holy Spirit and yet God forgave them. And somebody might say, no, the Bible says it'll never be forgiven. No, it does say this, that it'll never be forgiven, but it's the way you that you interpret it. See, because if you interpret that to mean you speak one little word, against the Holy Spirit. That's it. You're, you're going to hell. It doesn't matter what you do. Well, no, because Paul helps us to understand in Romans that people will get to a point where they'll blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They become so hard that they're, they're turned over to what uh, the King James calls a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind. In other words, uh, people don't even have what we would sometimes call a conscience anymore. They don't have any conviction of sin anymore because God has turned them over to their own ways because they persisted to do it. And somebody that's blasphemed the Holy Spirit will not feel conviction anymore. So they won't feel, they won't want to repent, they won't long to be saved. And so if you want to be saved, if you, if you don't want to uh, reject the Holy Spirit and such, then you, you hadn't been turned over to a reprobate mind or turned over to your own ways to where you don't feel convicted anymore. If you feel convicted, thank God for it. God desires mercy. God is a God of mercy, and so repent and be forgiven. But you have to take this seriously because the Holy Spirit is the only power, the only one of the Godhead that's here right now to help people to get born again. So you cannot reject Him. You cannot reject Him. Okay, now, verse thirty. Eight, either make the tree good, or the, uh, either make the tree good and the fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. A tree is known by its fruit. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, look, if somebody rejects the Holy Spirit and such, but they're bearing good fruits, trying to serve God, he's saying, no, you know, a, a bad tree does not bear good fruit, and a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. So he goes on to say, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. And in another place he says, and for, uh, he said, you'll know them by their fruits. And so you will know somebody if they've rejected the Holy Spirit, blasphemed the Holy Spirit, now they're not convicted anymore. You'll see the callousness. You'll see the hardness. You'll see when you try to speak truth to them that there's, it's like there's nothing there to receive the truth. They don't care. And so Jesus is saying, you will see the fruit. You'll know whether it's a bad tree 
or a good tree based on the fruit. And he goes on to say now, uh, verse 36, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak. See, he's, he's coming off of this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, mouth will speak. You can tell what's in a person's heart by what comes out of their mouth, by what comes out of their mouth. And so he said, every idle word, boy, Jesus really narrow, zeroes in on our words. Your words are important. Your words are important. This is how you get born again. This is how you receive things from God. This is how you cut yourself off from God. Words, Jesus said, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Oh Lord, help us to speak only those things that are right and pleasing to you. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three, days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Boy, uh, that tells us a little bit about where Jesus was uh, when he died and in between his death and resurrection. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So let me get to this next part since we're a little over time already. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Empty, notice. Swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. So in other words... Uh, a human being that has uh, some kind of a demonic presence there, but somehow that demonic presence leaves. Could be by somebody taking authority or this person rejecting uh, the disobedience and the rebellion, and now this demon doesn't have a place and has to go. But he said demons go through dry places. Interesting that the body is moist. The body is moist. Remember, the demons wanted to go from uh, the man with the legion of demons to the swine, to the pig. Another moist body. Why is that true? I don't know, but that is reality. Demons don't have a body of their own to function here on earth. So they want to occupy another body that can function here on earth. And if it can't be a human being, that's the best because human beings have much more authority and ability to do things on the earth than an animal. They, demons can even, obviously, possess animals. But notice this. It says they go through dry places and they're seeking rest, and they don't find any. And so these demons will say, well, I'm going to go back to where I came from. And if that uh, house, that person, is not filled with something else like the Holy Spirit, by being born again and particularly filled with the Spirit, then they find it empty, swept, ready, ready to be entered. And it says they take with them seven other spirits, more wicked, other spirits that were looking for a place. And here's this one demon, and in, in essence, is saying, come back, come to my, my house where I lived for a long time. And uh, let's see if we can sneak back in there. And it ends up with the original demon plus seven other demons. That means it's eight times worse, eight times worse. 
than it was before. And he said, not only that, but seven other spirits more wicked than himself. So it's a lot more than eight times because these other seven were more wicked than the original demon. Well, these, Jesus is teaching us something. We, we kind of are oblivious to these things, but they're real. But they're real. So it shall be in this wicked generation. While he was still speaking the multitude to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples. And he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, uh, excuse me, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so Jesus is saying right there, Anybody who becomes part of the kingdom, part of the family of God, gets saved, gets born again and such, those are my mother, sister, and brother. Those are the real family. So he's saying there, family members in the kingdom of God take even a higher priority than your own blood family that, uh, from which you were born. He's not condoning dishonoring them. Certainly he wants them to be saved. But he's just saying, look, when you come into the kingdom of God, you value this above everything else in your life, even family. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.